Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. My name's Conrad. I'm the youth pastor here at ARCF Foundation Church. Um, And uh, I'm really, really eager to share with you today. We're going to be in John chapter 17. I'm wrapping up a, a series we've been in. Um, called What Jesus Wants from God. Um, and uh, it, it is a section of scripture called the High Priestly Prayer. But So we're going to be in John chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, uh, if, if you want to raise your hand, we've got a couple of rambunctious volunteers who want to uh, get one to you. Um, and uh, throughout this series, we've been reading the whole uh, passage, the whole chapter of, of John 17. Uh, and so we're going to do that again um, this morning, uh, but n- normally when I preach before I even start, I want to I wanna pray to get started, but what's interesting is that John 17 is a prayer. It's uh, Jesus' prayer, um, so I want to kind of do both at the same time, that, that I want to I start with a posture of prayer um, as we approach the word, but I also want to read it. Um, it's interesting, Jesus, he teaches about prayer uh, often, but, but in, in, uh, <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 6, he, he talks about prayer and he says, don't pray out on the street corner so that everyone can hear you. No, go alone and be in your room in secret and your father who's in secret will hear you and will reward you. If you go out and pray on the street corner, then you've already gotten your full reward, which is everyone thinking that you're so great. <laughs> but no, pray alone. But but then also Jesus, he prays out loud in, in front of people pretty often. Uh, and here he's praying in front of his disciples. So there's like this, this aspect of corporate prayer that's really important. Obviously Jesus thinks it's really important too. Um, he has something that he wants to convey to us. Um, and so just like, just like we pray here in church and someone will lead out and we're all in agreement, uh, I want to pray with Jesus. I want Jesus to be the one who's leading us in prayer. Um, And there's not a whole ton of places where we can say that Jesus is literally praying for us, praying with us, and... uh, and, and we can we can have him lead us. I'm not like in our lives he does that all the time, of course. But but here in the scripture we he is he's literally he's praying for us. Um, so I kind of want to posture ourselves in a place where where we're about to be led in prayer by Jesus Himself. We're about to be in this moment. So I want to invite you into a sacred moment that this is. This is your creator God, your savior Jesus, who is inviting you in, um, into prayer. So like, what would you do? What would you do if you were standing with Jesus and, and he was going to pray with you? How would you respond? How would you act? And I want to invite you into that place. I want to invite you um, there. Um, so you're, you're more than welcome to to um, you know, close your eyes and focus and pray, but you're also welcome to read with, with the, the passage open in front of you so you can follow along, but allow these words of Jesus to be um, our prayer for today. Um, so, 
uh, verse 1 says, After saying these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, So now let's, let's pray. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. For he has given him, for you have given him authority over everyone, and he gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. And my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so that so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world, and they are staying in this world. But I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united, just as we are one. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost, except the son, except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them, so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that, you're lo that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Amen. I don't think that there is a prayer 
that you can say amen more heartily to than the prayer of Jesus Christ. I, I don't think that there's anything else. It's, it's awesome to be able to agree with other believers, but, but this is Jesus. What he prays should be our heartbeat, should be the very thing that keeps us going, that, that, that motivates us. If he is our Lord, then his prayer is our orders. If he is our Savior, then his prayer is what saves us. It's our salvation. If he is our Father, then his prayer is for our benefit. If he is our brother or our friend, then his prayer is what we can do to bring him joy. The thing that he desires, that's what we can do to to bring him joy. If he is our God, then his prayer, his desire, is what we can do to worship him. And if he is our king, then his prayer is what we can do to build his kingdom. And even just as we fulfill what he asks us to do, we are building his kingdom. And that begs the question, what kingdom are you a part of? Jesus kind of talks about two different groups of people. He says, well, there's the world. I'm not praying for them right now, but I'm praying for those who are not of the world. And that's, um, that's our, our title today, Not of the World. We'll be looking at what that means. What does that mean to be not of the world? Um, it's, it's this question of, like, where's your home? <laughs> Who's your boss? What are you living for? What, what is that all about? Um... I, uh, I, don't, I don't get to preach a whole time anymore, and that's, that's on purpose because uh, I'm going to William Jessup right now, and I'm trying to finish up. I'm trying to graduate in the spring, and um, that's, a, that's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, so I don't have as much time for sermon prep and such, but, um, but it's really great. All, all the classes I'm taking are amazing. One of them is a, a contemporary theology class, looking at the, theologians since like the middle of the... Um, 1700s, and um, there's a couple that I read them, and I'm like, man, this is this is just like like talking with Mike Martinez, like re- reading this. It's like it's amazing. It's really awesome. Um, uh, but there's there's a few there's a few um, thoughts from uh, some of these theologians that I want to point out. Um, this guy is Soren Kierkegaard. Um, the uh, they call him the melancholy Dane, just like um, Hamlet. Is that the other one? Um, but he uh, he suffered a lot early in his life, and um, his mother and uh, two of his siblings all died in, in the course of a year, I think. Um, and it totally shifted how he saw the world, and then God met him. God encountered him. Uh, and, and it changed everything for him. And, and he has like some, some philosophies just about what it means to even encounter God and, and uh, what it means to live a Christian life. And he says that one cannot truly live their life until they have taken serious their death. Until they have seriously considered their death, they can't live an authentic life. To start at the end and work your way backwards to understand 
and then you have to live it forwards is, is um, one of the ways that he sees this. Uh, and then there's another guy, uh, Jürgen Moltmann, um, who was born in the 1920s in Germany and uh, was forced into uh, Hitler's youth. He grew up in, in Hitler's army. Um, and was taken as a prisoner of war into uh, a camp in Great Britain and was handed a Bible. And it shook him. It changed everything for him. He, he, he encountered Jesus. He describes this, like, this, this moment that was beyond understanding. Um, but he says that Christians only find their hope um, in the resurrection of Christ and, and in the future. Um, and our lives are a reflection of that hope. That yes, there is this hope for the future, but it also is hope for us right now. So the way that we understand the future, the way that we understand our death is going to uh, uh, describe and show us how we're going to live today. So we have hope not just far off in the distance, but right here, um, right now. And that's what it means to be not of this world. That if Jesus ha has changed my heart, I am now a citizen of heaven. I now belong to a different kingdom. I if I am a citizen of heaven, then now I am a foreigner on earth. As soon as I become a, a citizen of heaven, I am now living in a strange place with rules that I don't under understand, with people who speak different languages than me. Like, I become... A foreigner. And, and, and heaven is my home. Heaven is what I'm longing for and yearning for. I'm just passing through this foreign land. Um, but I also have this understanding that, that what I'm living for is not the same as what everyone else is living for. Um, this is a lot of how God worked in my heart to help me reframe my life and, and to understand, like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Um, one of the things that he was revealing to me is, like, there's going to be a day where I, I stand before him. And I get to encounter him now, no doubt, but, but there's always this veil of flesh that just keeps me from being able to see him clearly. There's so many distractions. But there will be a day when my flesh is in the ground decaying. And I will be able to stand before him without, any, without anything in the way. I'll be able to see him fully. Um, and in that moment, I won't have any earthly cares anymore. All of the stuff that I was so stressed out about all of my life will not matter at all anymore. It won't. I will not be worried about rent. <laughs> I will not be worried about taxes. <laughs> I just won't. It, like, these things that, that can consume our lives really easily, if, you know, for a reason, um, they just won't matter. And so if they won't matter then, then they should not be what I'm living for right now. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying don't pay your taxes. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying don't pay your rent. But, 
but they're not the focus. They're not my goal in life. My goal in life is to stand before my father and say, I live my life with no regrets. I served you. I, I didn't sway to the left or to the right. Like, that's what I want to be able to do. I'm certainly not perfect. I definitely am going to stand before him and say, man, I think I wasted an entire year. God, I think I wasted this whole time. I, I, there was this whole time where I was just misguided and misunderstood, and, and I missed it. That's going to happen. Like I, I know that, but I don't want that. I, I want to, to live in this moment knowing that, that, that my father is the one who I'm aiming to please. My father is the one who, like, I want to see his joy. I want to put a smile on his face. And although there are tons of people around me that it would be pleasant if they would smile, that's not nearly as important. I, I want to bring him joy. I, I want to live for his purposes. And that it just means that people are going to tell me uh, what I'm supposed to do with my life. And a lot of times I'm going to politely say, no, <laughs> my father has given me instructions. My God has, has told me how I'm supposed to live, and it's, it's not that. Um, now God's going to use the body of Christ. He's going to use people to encourage me and to help me see where I have blind spots. It's super important. The body of Christ is super important. But if it's, if, if it's between God's instruction and anyone else's instruction... I'm going with God's instruction. <laughs> I'm listening for his voice. I'm, I'm looking for, for his joy, not anyone else's. So I, I want to live my life in a way that, that when I die, I'm, I'm, all of those earthly cares, I, they weren't what I was living for anyways. So when they're all gone, I, I will still be holding on to the one who is my purpose. And, but that's just Jesus. He changes the hearts of believers. Um, he, he starts us on this process of total surrender where we, where we give up everything and we, um, we lean into him. And that process, is, that process of being in total surrender is just backwards from our world. Absolutely backwards. And so that, that's what we want to talk about today is what does it look like to be not of the world. What does that look like? How, how are we supposed to live that out? How are we supposed to do that? Yeah, we yearn for the kingdom of God, which is realized when we obey Jesus with our whole hearts. Um, so one thing that's interesting about this prayer is that Jesus doesn't say, Lord, I want them to be not of this world. He doesn't say, Father, make them not of this world. He declares it. He states the fact, these are not of the world. These who, whom are mine, who, whom you have given me, Father, he says, they are not of the world. It's, it's not... Uh, in that sense, it's not as much of a prayer. And, and plus, it's Jesus talking to God, like he's, he's talking to himself. So it's not the same way that we pray. It's a little bit different. Um, but he, he is declaring that they are not of the world. Um, that it's just not an option. 
It's not an option or a suggestion. It's, it's the facts of, of who we are as believers. That we are not of the world. We are different. We're going to be different. And it's not just like, well, we might look a little weird. No, we are going to be very, very different. Very different. This is actually something that I think is a, a pretty good idea of how to view and uh, view your life and how to live your life as a Christian. Is like 100% expect that you are going to uh, do things that no one is ever going to understand. It's a pretty safe place to be as a Christian. Like I, the way that I handle my fa- finances, the way that I handle my marriage, the way that I handle my family, the way that I uh, you know handle my work relationships. Uh, living situations, my car, like, you can go down the list. Literally everything that I do in every area of life, I'm going to do it in a way that is totally backwards from the rest of the world. If we start there as Christians, and we're just like, yeah, I'm going to be an outcast, we're pretty safe. And then you can be really, really concerned when God calls you to live in a way that is sort of similar to the people around you. And you can say, Lord, are you sure that you want me to buy a house in a suburban neighborhood? Are you sure? Because I was kind of expecting, you know, like Jesus, to be like a, a homeless preacher. <laughs> you know, if, if I live in that expectation of like, I'm going to look so weird, and then God calls me to look sort of normal, then I should, I should approach that with fear and trembling. Say, Lord, are you sure? Lord, are you sure that you want me to sort of be able to fit in here? You know, if it, it, the, the way that the world handles things, uh, they have wisdom. They have a lot of experience. They're, they're banking on a lot of history. But they just can't see the future. They just don't know. And they might even be able to predict, or they might have a really good idea of, what, um, of how to be able to handle your finances so that when you're closer to the end of your life, you'll be able to you know, live comfortably and things like that. That's, that's pretty impressive stuff, and it's, it's good wisdom. But it's not the wisdom of God. It's not the full vision of God. Because as much as people can try to predict for me what the last years of my life will look like, they have no clue what it's going to look like when I stand before God without the veil of the flesh, without that, the veil that's keeping me from seeing God entirely. No, like... That's what I'm living for. I'm not. Uh, I, I'm. I'm not. Uh, I'm not living, Rachel. I'm sorry. I'm not living for our marriage. <laughs> but I am living for God's glory, and He has instructed me to serve you and lay down my life for you. Um. But it's it's from that place of like God. I want to obey you. I want to bring you joy. That's what informs everything. So yeah, my marriage is going to look different than the marriages of the world. It better. (laughs) It better look different. Because no one else can tell me what's going to bring God joy, except for God himself, except for the body of believers, except for his word. So we're going to look weird. Be expecting to look weird. (laughs) <laughs> it's easy for me to say as a, like the youngest child of a family, I'm like, hey, I'm all on board for weird. Um, 
But it's true. It's really, really true. So what are some ways that we are supposed to look weird? What are some ways that we are supposed to be not of the world? Um, We are not of the world when we love those who hate us. This is something that's all over the Bible. You know, loving the people who, who hate you, praying for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes, but... But also, even just the way that Israel is instructed to care for foreigners. In our culture, it's similar, but especially in those cultures, if someone was from an outside tribe, they were immediately like a threat. They were immediately the enemy. Um, And they were instructed to care for foreigners. There was literally part of the way that they tithed to the temple was to... Uh, like they gave 10% to care for the Levites. They gave another 10% to be able to keep the storehouses full for the feasts and stuff. And then they gave an additional, uh, it's like a third of it, uh, another 3.3% of their crops to be able to um, care for the orphans and the widows and the foreigners. Like, so th- there's a portion of the temple that's literally intended for people who would be viewed as enemies. Like part of the storehouse is like, oh no, that's not for us at all. No, no, that's, that's for the people who might want to kill us. <laughs> Literally, like, it's, it's wild. It's wild. So when we pray for those who, who persecute you, who in the world, literally in the world, would expect you to love someone who hates you? I'm going to be honest, that's not a reasonable expen- uh, expectation. That's not reasonable. It doesn't make sense. There's, there's no logical framework that just says, yes, that will totally be good. You can even like, think psych- psychologically and say, like, well, you might be able to do this like, relational judo where you take their anger and you, you, know, you turn them over on their back. But even that is like revenge-centered. They're like, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love them so much and they're gonna, it's going to boil their blood. You know? Like that's... That's not, that's not what God is calling us to. He's calling us to this sacrifice. That if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Like, if they strike you this way, turn the cheek so that they can backhand you. Like, that, there's this, this love that, that God calls us to. Um, and it's just like, it's impossible. It's just, humanly, it's impossible. But it's the love that God has filled us with. It's the love that he has given us that then we're able to propitiate. We're able to keep pouring that same love out. And, and so then it's, it's suddenly, you know, it's not as, un, not as impossible anymore. Um, I'm really grateful that we serve a God who does impossible things. <laughs> because the transformation of my heart, that's impossible. But God does it. The loving of people who hate me, that's impossible. But God equips us to do that. And we are going to look weird. All of our friends who are not Christians, and even some of our friends who are Christians, will look at us and say, what are you doing? Why are you still in that friendship? Don't you know that they just abuse you? Don't you know that they just tear you down whenever they're around? Don't you know that this is toxic? And, you know, by, by every logical pathway, they are totally correct. But when God has called us to love someone... We don't give up. We don't give up. You, you pursue relationships how God is telling you to pursue relationships, but I know one thing he's, he's saying is don't give up. I know that. Don't stop loving. 
And this even happens within the church. Uh, not so much the hatred, hopefully. But, uh, <laughs> but in the church, when the church is really being the church, we're going to be surrounded with people who look different from us, who have different opinions from us, who have different uh, vantage points. And in the world... It's real easy for any of those to be a dividing line. The church will look like this weird conglomeration uh, of people. I love, I love the demographic studies that they do about what the early church must have looked like based on the names that Paul lists like in the, in the letter to the Romans. It's like there, there was probably a retired Roman centurion whose house that they were meeting in. There was uh, definitely some women. There were definitely some Jews. There was definitely some Gentiles and probably like some homeless. And it was about 20 people or so in the house that were meeting. And you're just like, man, that is just the strangest dinner party I have ever heard of. You know, who would, who would have pinned that all of these people would, meet, would be meeting together and not just like, like a one-off meeting, like, oh, well, let's, let's see if we can unite. No, they call themselves family. Across uh, culture divides, acro across class divides, across religious divides, even initially, you know, between the Jews and the Romans, and they, they would call themselves brothers and sisters. And they would say, with the same love that God has shown me, I'm going to show you that love. The same kind of forgiveness that God has shown me, I'm going to forgive you. We're going to look weird. We're going to look different. Um, but we're... Uh, <laughs> we show love to those who would only ever expect disapproval or disdain from us. There are people who, as soon as they hear that we're Christians, are going to expect a certain look. Like, like there's a whole community, the LGBTQ plus community, that when they hear you're a Christian, they're automatically going to assume that you're you know, going to cringe at them or, or look sideways at them. But you know what? I am a sinner who Jesus, if there's anyone who deserves to look sideways at me, it's Jesus. And he doesn't, and he doesn't do that. He looks me right in the eye and he says, my child. And that's the same kind of love that I'm supposed to show people who are only expecting rejection. Is that kind of love. So that's one way that we are not of the world, is when we love those who hate us, and we love those who, who honestly don't deserve it. But does anyone deserve God's love? Any, <laughs> now we do, because of Jesus. <laughs> he, he said that we deserve it, which is ridiculous. Um, but another way that we can be not of the world is when we live for God's glory. Uh, these, were, these two points were things that were... Um, absolutely in the prayer that Jesus was praying. He was praying for unity among the believers. Um, not just of those who were with him, but also anyone who would ever hear of his, would believe in him because of the disciples' teachings. That, like, Jesus was praying directly for us, which is really awesome. He's praying for unity, but then he was also praying that we would be sent, that, that Jesus was sending us, that we were living on mission for God's glory. Um, this is very backwards from the world, because if you ask anyone about their life plan, it's, it's their goals. Like, I'm, I'm living for, for, for these things. I, I have these goals for my life, and I have, I have a plan um, to, they wouldn't use these words, but to build my kingdom here on earth. That's, that's a very worldly, normal human thing. 
and Jesus changes us. God changes us and makes us not of this world by suddenly, I'm not even worried about my kingdom here on earth. I don't even care. My life is not nearly as important as all of the Disney movies that I watched told me that it was. Like, my life is this small. It is this small. And I serve a God who's enormous and vast. And I care way more about his glory than mine. I care way more about his mission than mine. We look backwards. We look so, so backwards to the world when we live for God's glory instead of our own. When we are on mission with someone else's orders instead of on our own mission. We look backwards. Because even people who um, you know, are, are sent by other people, they have their own motivation. I can't really think of too many people who have joined the military recently um, whose intention was not to get free college. <laughs> like, like, even if they have a desire to serve, they're like, well, you know, the GI Bill's pretty sweet. Um, e- even with those, those, even with a selfless motive, there's always a, a goal to get something back, you know? It, I'm not trying to speak poorly of, of the military, if it's a dangerous thing to do, but... Um, but we are serving God. We are looking after his glory, after, after his mission, his orders. That's, that's what we're living for. And mine just aren't that important. Another way that we look just backwards is when we trust God, when we trust him. Now, this one's kind of like a real churchy one. But when we trust God, we are admitting our own weakness. I am admitting that I don't have the ability to see this through. I don't have the strength to do this. God, I am in pain and I have no solutions. God, I am suffering and I am lost. We're admitting that we don't, we don't have it. And then we trust him. It's not a very um, popular thing to admit that you're weak. I, culturally, it's becoming a little bit n- more normal that everyone's like, yeah, you know, my, you want to know what my therapist told me today? Like, that, that's a normal conversation where, like, it didn't used to be. So there is some of that, like, admitting, uh, admitting that, like, I, I need mental help and, and I, don't, I don't have that kind of, um, I don't have that sort of ability. But it's still not a very popular thing to, to admit that I don't have the ability. I don't have... The, the power, and especially to believe in, in a, a deity who seems far off, and, and why, would he, why would he even care? These are things that are not popular, but when we trust in God, we are proving that we don't belong to this kingdom. We don't belong to this world. I, I have a king who is elsewhere, and I'm eager to return home to him, but he has sent me here. And so I'm, I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him. Even when I'm going through heartbreak, even when I'm going through suffering, I'm trusting him. And another way that we are not of the world that'll be our last one that we look at is when we die to ourselves. It's what it means to be a Christian. It's what it means to be a Christian is that I I died to myself. Because I am now alive in Christ. I am now born again. Something has to die in order to be able to be born again. Like I, it's new. It's fresh. It's alive. 
but it's because the old me has died. And it'd be really nice to say that we just had to die one time. <laughs> but man, it's every day. It's every day. Because although the old me is dead, it's like trying to come back. <laughs> it's like trying to fight against th- this new life. And we have to die every day to ourselves. But it's so beautiful because I am so secure. I am so, so set that I'm going to stand before God, that, that I am welcomed into his kingdom. And so, if I physically die today, I'm all right. I hope some people would be sad, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, because I won't even have any earthly cares anymore. I'll be in glory with my Father, standing before him, blown away by all the things that I couldn't understand at the time, but slowly I'm understanding them more and more every day. For all eternity. Like, I'm set. Even if I physically died today, I'd be set. So then let me have the perspective that I'm okay with dying to myself every day. Look, I'm going to be suffering, and I'm going to sign up for it. It's okay. Like, this, this is what it means to be a Christian, that I want to serve until it hurts. I want to give until it hurts. I, I want to... Uh, to, to make sure that I am never saying no to God. You know, that, that when he calls me, that if, if it's between his word or mine, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you know what, I should probably just give up on this one and serve God, live for him and die to myself. That's what it means to, to be a Christian. And so then there are some, some challenges that if you are a Christian, is there something God has stirred up in you that like maybe you've, given in, like compromised a little bit, that like, oh yeah, we do look like the world. Yeah, we do kind of look like everyone else in this way. Is God calling you to, to, to change that? Is God calling you to reassess and, and look less like the world and look more like the kingdom of heaven? And if you're new to church, Um, God wants to change your heart desperately. He wants to transform your life. He wants to turn you around. Um, but there's not a switch. We're not in control of it, and you can't be either. Like it's not it's not this switch that suddenly God is going to transform your heart. But you can prepare for it. the The disciples they didn't really understand what Jesus was doing pretty much most of the time. But what they did was Jesus called them to follow him and they followed him. Them choosing to follow him was to be surrounded by him all the time, to be sitting under his teaching, to be surrounded with other people who were following him. And they had the groundwork laid for the miracle that God was going to perform. So you can't control the miracle, but man, yeah, you can prepare for it. You can have your heart ready. How do you have your heart ready? Well, this is part of it. Being here in the church, being surrounded with other believers, being encouraged by other believers. Yes, that, that's 100% part of it. Also, his word. If you want to hear his voice, here's part of it. Here's some of his voice already recorded throughout history. 
But then he wants to speak to you personally too. And so spending time in prayer is another way that you can prepare that foundation. I'm going to be honest with you. I, when I was um, 20, was like when God really got a hold of my life. I grew up in church, so I was always kind of around. But when I was 20, I finally just made the decision that it's like, all right, God, my plan, I'm, my plans are out the window. It is all you. It is you or nothing. And that was a decision that I made in about January. And it was probably April that I really heard God speak to me. And it was three months of like, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to go, come home, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do Bible studies with other people, and I'm just going to go all in. And it was like three months of that before it was this miracle that God had done. Now, I mean, I would argue that there were little miracles the whole way across, but as far as this incredible like heart change moment, it was months. I think about the disciples at Pentecost. They waited at minimum in, in a room praying for a week straight, <laughs> probably more, but you know, there's some debate about times and stuff, that, that they were eagerly anticipating the sending of the Spirit. They were eagerly anticipating. And so although it might take a little bit of waiting... It's waiting that you can do to prepare your heart for the miracle that God wants to do. Um, I want to uh, pray with you, um, but I also just want to encourage you that, that although we're going to look different from the world, we're going to have such great joy. We're going to have such great satisfaction from our Father. And even though so many other people are going to reject us, our Father never will. Our Father never will. So pray with me. Lord God, we, we thank you. We thank you for the miracle um, that you do. We thank you that we have this scripture that we can read and we can see your heart for us. We can see your prayer for us. Lord, allow us to um, line ourselves up with you to arrive at your conclusions instead of our own. Lord, would you... Um, just change our hearts, God. I think it's a really noble thing to change people's minds, God. And I try to do that, but the changing of the heart is something that only you can do, Lord. And so we pray. We pray for your miraculous love to encounter um, every individual, Lord. And God, we know that there are some ways that you want to use us to that end. Speak to us, God. Allow us to be sensitive to your spirit. Allow us to be I'm listening for how we can um, be used by you, that your glory would be known in this world. God, I ask that even as we go out today, that you would um, strengthen us and give us boldness to trust you um, and to die to ourselves. Lord, thank you that we are never alone, even in our lowest moment, that you are there with us. God, I pray that you would... Um, just revitalize us today, strengthen us, and use us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to watch an uh, announcement video, and then we'll be dismissed. Well, good morning, ARCF family. Well, my apologies for last week's video. I have no idea what happened. It's very confusing when your videos all of a sudden end abruptly. 
Just kidding. Well, what I was going to say is that in your bulletin, there was a list of December events going on right here at ARCF. If you weren't here or don't remember getting one, we have extras on the back table for you to grab one on your way out. All right, let's get your announcements for this week. All right, so today we are going to be highlighting events that are going to be happening here on the weekend of December 10th, 11th, and 12th. And so on Friday, December 10th, from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m., we are hosting a Parents' Night Out. This event is designed to be free childcare for our parents in our community who just want to have a night out for Christmas shopping, having a nice dinner, or just having a relaxing evening without the kids. We're going to serve kids pizza, do some arts and crafts, and enjoy watching a movie, The Grinch. However, we need two teams of eight adults to run this event. So, if you're willing and able to help out, please make sure you see Sherry or Pastor Greg. Remember, this is a community event, so please don't sign up your kids or your grandkids unless you plan on being there to help out. Thank you in advance for your help. Alright, this next event is being held on Saturday, December 11th, and it's certainly one that you will not want to miss. Our Spanish ministry wants to invite everyone to join in on their Christmas tradition of tamales and piñatas. I honestly can't think of a better pair of traditions. So we are definitely encouraging everyone to mark your calendars and plan on being here Saturday, December 11th from 5 to 7 p.m. right here in the sanctuary for some great food, fellowship, and fun. Hope to see you there. Now, how do we round up a great weekend of events? Well, we have an adorable treat for you. What could be cuter than a toddler dressed as a cow? Well, you're just going to have to come see our annual kids program to find out. So come join us Sunday, December 12th at 6 p.m. right here in the sanctuary as our kids tell the Christmas story. And the program is going to be followed up by refreshments and fellowship in the Connection Center. It's going to be a great time. So make sure you mark your calendars and we'll see you there. All right, church family, that's all I've got for you. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read it left to right, front to back for more events and more information. 